George, I'm so grateful that we can speak again today. And uh, firstly, how are you? Doing great. And uh, thanks for inviting me back. No thunderstorms today. We shall hope. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. So thanks for coming back on. So we've got a slightly different episode today. We're going to try and keep it under 15 minutes and we're going to focus on one specific topic, which is good boss, bad boss. So I personally owe so much of my career to leaders that have had, I've had the pleasure of working with and people who've taken a chance, people who've put their necks on the line, frankly, too many to mention, but you spoke about good bosses and bad bosses in our previous conversation, which was episode 22. So what do you mean and why is it important? Well, so it's a really timely question, you know, with all the economic turmoil right now, a lot of people find themselves getting a new boss or evaluating if they want to keep working with their current one. First off, 75% of people who quit, they don't quit their job. They actually quit their boss. So your supervisor makes an enormous difference in your job satisfaction and your career advancement. So in fact, having a great boss is the number one contributor to employee happiness. So what does a good boss look like versus a bad boss? I mean, no, no boss is perfect. They, we all have strengths and weaknesses, but I'd say in my experience, certain traits have proven to be, I think, particularly important. I would say it's along these dimensions. Again, this could, this could be a this could be a lengthy list, but this is this to me is is the short list that has made all the difference. I would say it's along the parameters of strategic clarity, and I'll I'll describe what I mean by these. So, strategic clarity, trust, support, and safety, decisiveness, and accountability. I'm going to put those together, and I'll, I'll say why. And then, coach and mentor. So, I guess that's four, not three. Anyway. <laughs> So strategic clarity, <laughs> let, me, let me go with strategic clarity. So ideally what you want is a boss who can paint for you a very vivid and inspiring picture of the destination. That is, here's where we're heading. Here's what we're building towards. And then they set very clear performance goals that tie your work to that destination. That's what a good boss would do. I'd say that a poor boss First of all, just lacks clarity about where all this is going. You're doing a lot of work. What's it for? Where is this taking us? What, is it thing, what do things look like three years from now? And then they make it worse by, frankly, setting vague goals. Sometimes even moving the goalpost, right, midstream. And so move the goalpost and then reprimand you. The worst ones kind of then reprimand you when you don't actually hit the moving goal, right? So this is the one about strategic clarity. It makes a huge difference. The next one is this this trust, support, and safety. Now, uh, you know, the good bosses both trust and empower you to do the right thing, to deliver on the strategy. They're going to give you room to grow. Uh, they're going to give you air cover if things get bumpy, and they're going to have your back. Uh, they will also welcome your input, right? And this, all these combined, not only demonstrate they, that they trust you, but also that you will trust them. And that's incredibly important. I mean, trust is the, is the biggest anti-friction device in business. You can do so much more, accomplish so much more, go so much further if you have trust. And so this is, this is a vital piece of that. And some of us may have had bosses where you didn't have trust. You may have had a boss who micromanages you 
or second guesses all your choices. They're, they're a my way or the highway type. So they, they're not open to input. And as a result, they, they clearly don't trust you and therefore you really don't trust them either. You're always feeling like, like you're on edge. It was only over the years that I came to really appreciate the point about decisiveness and accountability. And uh, some of that was, you know, from a couple of, I'd say, a long time ago, some adverse experiences. But it really comes down to this. All business involves unknowns and risk and imperfect information. People have very different comfort levels with that situation. And so as a, for a boss, for you to be effective, ideally you want a boss who can be decisive under uncertainty. If it's somebody who just wants all the data to be absolutely 99% certain, you're never gonna have it and you're gonna find decisions are never made and it's very hard to make any progress. So you want this decisiveness. You, you want somebody who is proactive, not reactive about it. You don't wanna get into analysis paralysis, right? And then secondly, with the decisiveness comes accountability. It's not only will they make a decision, but they will take personal ownership and accountability of the outcome of that decision. If it goes great, good. And hopefully you have somebody who gives the credit to the team that delivers. If it doesn't, they take responsibility for a failure, right? They put themselves out there. And this is in contrast to something I experienced once many, many years ago with someone who loved to take the credit for the wins, but was quick to find a scapegoat for the failures. Uh, and the whole team was always, always on edge. So look for this aspect, the decisiveness and accountability. And there's, you know, we can, there, there's some ways you can look, look for this as, as well. The fourth one was coaching and mentoring. So is this person going to be a good coach and mentor for you? That is, is this gonna be somebody who stretches you, who prepares you for what's next? They know that you need to keep moving up. They know that you need to do more and they're there to help you do that. And that's in contrast to what I would say are the poorer bosses who either spend no time on that or worse, treat you as replaceable. And certainly at entry level jobs, you know, many of us have probably encountered that where they're not, they don't care about developing you for the next level. They'd rather pigeonhole you in a particular job because I want to stay in this job indefinitely so that I don't have to go find somebody else, right? I've trained you. I'd rather that you stay. You want somebody who's going to coach and mentor and kind of celebrate your success. Because, you know, here's, here's the thing. We all know that happy employees are more productive. They're more engaged. They're more profitable for the company. But what is sometimes underappreciated is just how big a factor uh, your bosses, or if you're a boss, then your leadership competency in that equation, in that productivity, engagement, profitability equation. And here's what the data show. So this is based upon some, some feedback data from, it was collected by a group called Zenger Folkman that does leadership development for hundreds of companies around the world. And so their data was this, they have data, uh, feedback data from three quarters of a million employees who were rating 69,000 supervisors on 49 different leadership traits. So this is a lot of data and good hard data. Here's what they found. They found that a boss who has high self-awareness of their competencies, whether their competencies are good or bad, but if they have high self-awareness as a leader, 
of their leadership competencies, they have far happier employees than a boss with low self-awareness. So that is bosses who are humble and open-minded tend to recognize and then strive to improve upon their own shortcomings. And their employees are over 50% happier and more engaged compared to employees of bosses who don't do this. Basically, it's the difference between managers who are in self-denial about their actual competence versus managers who are humble and self-aware enough uh, to know that you know, they can uh, always be better and, and improve. So, so self-denial about one's own weaknesses can frankly be a career killer. So if you have a boss, and even more importantly, if you are the boss, and for your own sake, understand the power that your boss and you uh, have on employee satisfaction and get feedback to make yourself better. Take a 360 performance review, see what others say about your leadership styles, find out what your blind spots are, because the blind spots are, are what can, can ultimately derail you. You know, bad managers are a liability, good managers are an asset, work for the latter, and become one of those good bosses yourself. I'll say for me personally, I've been amazingly blessed to have had three great bosses in my life. You know, were they perfect? No. Did some people struggle to work for them? Yes. But to me, they had, they, they hit, they checked the boxes, right? They had strategic clarity. They fully supported and protected their teams. They took responsibility personally when things hit the fan. And each of them was sort of the consummate servant leader. Their first priority was the development and well-being of the employees in their charge. And we all succeeded because of that. We've all been in the position to get a new boss. It happens all the time and it'll be happening a lot now. What advice do you have to somebody when they get a new boss? How should they approach it? Yeah, you're right. I mean, we're all we're all going to have a multitude of bosses in our in our careers. Oh, oh, I guess first, here's what you don't do: don't show up at your first meeting with your new boss and ask him, me in this case, ask him when you're getting promoted. And you you might think I'm joking, but I have been shocked at how many times this happens. Because look, <clears throat> no matter how deserving you may be or you think you are, I'm just coming in. I don't know you. I don't know your abilities. I've never read your performance reviews to know if you're any good at what you do. I hope you are. And I've got 20 fires competing for my immediate attention. So with that, don't start with what am I going to do for you? Really start with what are you going to do for me? So with that, I guess let's, let's talk a little bit. So here's, here's what you should do. First, if your boss self this out with a for the change. Did the last boss leave on good terms or even get promoted or were they fired? You know, was they fired for performance reasons or for something else? You know, to the extent you know this, I'll tell you why it matters. It matters because if they were fired, whether that was justified or not, chances are that management sees some deeper issues that need to be changed in your department. And that's what this new boss is going to be expected to do. Here's why that matters for you. Regardless of the particular circumstances, a new boss always starts by spending the first 30 days or so assessing the situation and the problem spots. So then they can prioritize what needs to get tackled. So he or she is going to develop a 60 or a 90 day plan for their boss 
And in this, they're gonna prioritize where they're gonna focus. So as your new boss does their onboarding, he or she is gonna drill deep into the following things. The strategic challenges that are facing the department, whether their customers are happy or unhappy, the quality of their team, and the structure of their organization. Typically, those are the four big things that this new boss is gonna look at. So what's working, what isn't, what's on fire, what's gotta change. So for you, when you get that meeting invite, and regardless of what it's called or what your new boss calls it, right? It's a quick chat, it's an update, it's a meet and greet, it's an onboard, whatever it is, treat your first one-on-one -on -one meeting with your new boss as an interview for your current job. Your number one priority in this meeting is to give them confidence in you and your team and then prepare accordingly. My advice is come to that first meeting. I mean, if it's truly a meet and greet of a, hi, how are you? We'll spend five minutes just to get to know each other. Great, but then make it the second meeting. But whichever one it is where you're gonna spend an hour together, if I were you, I would come prepared this way. Certainly introduce yourself, talk about who you are, talk about, you know, interest, things of that sort, but bring in a summary. I will say the strategic issue or problem that your job and your team solves. What do they do and why? Not just what do they do, why do they do it? Why is this something important? You want to make your thing important to your new boss, right? And then here's what we do to solve these things. So what's the, what is the work that's required to make that happen? Why is it so critical for this area to the company and therefore your new boss's success, right? Make it important. And then how are you doing? So the, net, the second thing would be what is your and your team's performance results? Are they tangible? Can you point to things and say, here's the successes that we're seeing? Third, I would bring in, and I'd be prepared to talk about any sort of specific problems that will need your boss's attention. Don't bring every problem. There's a bunch of problems. You're the one who needs to be solving those. If there's any ones that you just want to say, hey, I don't need you to look at this right now, but here's a couple things I just want to make sure you have on your radar screen as you do your onboarding that, you know, I'd like to get your, I'd like to consult with you on, I'd like to get your, your, your opinions on. And then don't just lay out problems, but lay out the options for how you would solve them and what you would recommend be done for those. Then I would say at that point, you enthusiastically offer or volunteer to solve these for your new boss. So this basically is anything, you're here talking about anything that you think is gonna be important for this, for, for your boss's 90 day plan. A useful secret for you to know is that your new boss comes in with high reputation capital and about a six month grace period to make things happen and prove to their boss that they are indeed the right choice for this job. So this means <clears throat> that they're going to often get that 90 day plan approved as the, as the new person. And then they're gonna be given freedom and the resources to some extent, hopefully all, but at least some, to make things happen. No new person's gonna get hired and come in and then not be given anything to make stuff happen. Or if so, make sure you find that out before you take the job. So typically what'll happen is this person may actually get more leeway than their predecessor because they have um, new confidence of a new senior leader, okay? So that's, that's one thing working in your favor. 
with that, you can use this opportunity really intelligently. It's a perfect time to prove your worth and also get things that you can prove are both important and impactful onto that 90-day plan. So you pick the one or two things that you know can get done quickly and will have a big impact. Get it on the plan. This will make you both look good, you and your new boss, and further win you the respect and trust of that boss. There's a couple of there's a couple of little bonuses I throw in uh, here. Uh, you can get bonus points. I'd say bonus point number one is when you're onboarding your new boss, also give them some other useful insights into specific challenges and landmines. Give them a sense of the landscape, right? You might have insights about certain people, about how the culture works or hinders things, about uh, internal processes and how they work, like you know, budgeting or hiring or how, how long it takes to get senior approval, and that this is stuff that kind of hampers the team to be effective. So if this person's new to the company, share this type of thing because they can put in a request for relief from some of these obstacles into the 90-day plan. Bonus point number two, teach them something new every time you have a sit down with them. Make them smarter. Give them some impressive or cool anecdote about their area that they can then spread around the company as they make their onboarding tour. One, this helps them establish new credibility with something that applies to their new company. It also makes you look good in exchange. And all in all, what all this stuff tells you, this, this, this tells your new boss this. It says, you're leading something important. You've got it under control. You and your team are doing well and I don't need to worry about your area. I got a lot of things to worry about. You're not one of them. You're clearly here to help me. I'm gonna tap you uh, into you a lot more uh, going forward. You're gonna make your boss confident in you. You're gonna reap the benefits. You're gonna be part of the solution. And I will say, here's the final kind of, here's a big final bonus that also comes out of, out of this approach. Everything I just described also is a great way to cope with a poor boss. This is a good path to become trusted and indispensable to them. So it's also can be kind of your bad boss, not such a new boss, but your bad boss survival playbook. And gives you also time to figure out, you know, you still want to stick around uh, working for him or her, or you want to be looking at something else. So we've talked about the benefits of what makes a good boss. And then also what you do when you get a new boss. But how do you actually take steps to find a great boss? It's a great question. So we already said, look, a boss is going to be the number one determinant, uh, you know, of your happiness in a job. So I would say it's just like the due diligence that you do on the company before you take a job. Do the same degree of due diligence on your prospective boss. You're going to be spending five days a week, maybe more, with this person. So you better like them. You better get along. Learn all you can before making that uh, decision. The ways to do that, first of all, of course, just ask them questions in the interview that can probe their leadership style. I mean, say, hey, if I ask your direct reports to, to describe what it's like to work for you, what will they tell me? Don't say, what's it like to work for you? Say, if I talk to your direct reports, because chances are you might actually be talking to direct reports. So this person is going to have to be honest. Hopefully, if they're a good boss, they'll be honest regardless, right? So that's one. If you're not already, ask if you can interview with some of their direct reports. Ask if, ask, and then ask them what it's like. What, it's, what is it like to work for this person? Of course, the standard go-tos, you know, do a Google search if they've got posts or blogs or videos, anything that kind of reveal their style and what's important to them. Certainly do that. 
but talking to them is going to be the most powerful. And I would say there, you can ask questions along the lines of those four points uh, that I made earlier. So clarity of vision and goals versus, you know, is this person who's kind of vague and it sets moving targets. You can ask them, say, tell me a bit more about the strategy. And then tell me, how will we know when we're being, if we're being successful? So what will my goals be? What are your expectations six or 12 months from now? So if I'm talking to you six or 12 months from now, how do you and I both know that, yeah, this is, this is working, right? On the point around empowerment uh, and support and trust versus sort of micromanagement, you know, just ask, say, what kinds of issues do you want to be involved in? What kind of decisions do you want to be involved in? And which ones... Uh, would you like or expect me to handle? Uh, it could give you a feel uh, for how much this person trusts and empowers their people there. On the point of uh, decisiveness and I guess I would say courage and accountability, you know, it's, it can be a little trickier. I would say think about ways to ask. If you're talking to the direct reports, just ask them this. You know, describe a situation that uh, required a difficult decision, you know, and and how did boss X approach this? Or describe a situation where something you were doing went wrong, and what was your boss's reaction? What, what happened next? This will give you a sense of this ability, the person's under fire and under uncertainty, and also how they react if things go wrong. How much do they take personal accountability? How much are they in coaching mode for you if you were the one making the mistake versus how much are they in retribution mode, right? And clearly, hopefully, it's majority the former. On the coaching and mentoring, again, great one for the direct reports. They'll give you the best sense. You know, do, they, do you get a deep or just a cursory annual review? Do you get instant feedback or you never get feedback? Do they get advice on their development and areas to improve? Do they get advice on networking? Does the boss open doors, introduce you to new industry players, others, other key people that you should know, right? So those are those are the types of things that you, you want to you interview for the job, but you want to interview your boss as well. And there's a lot of ways to do that, but you're going to spend a lot of time with this person. So it's, it's important. So with all that in mind, are you actually telling me that you can pick your own boss? You can pick your boss. You can pick your, you got a choice. You can pick your boss or you can manage your boss. Get the first one right. If you can, right. As you sort of interview for the role and basically you're doing your due diligence on the job, but it's also important because look, some, sometimes you're going to have to play the hand you've been dealt and you're gonna to have to learn how to manage the boss, uh, manage your boss. And so some of those other things that we talked about, look, here's, here's where the need, where are the big pain points, where are the big need points from my boss? How do I make you know, my boss look good? We talked about you know, some of that too. And I would say, go, go back to that and apply those. And that's how you can, you can typically survive there. It's a bottom line though, look, life's too short to be unhappy in your job or to have your happiness dictated by a supervisor. Sometimes you have to go through a bit of a, you know, an interim period where, you, okay, you, you've got you've to suck up some things, but that's not long-term. Never make that long-term. So if your boss is the reason that you're unhappy and you just, no matter what you've done, you can't seem to click, make a change. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, George. A little bit longer than 15 minutes. We did say that before we were recording <laughs> that we didn't think it would stay for 15 minutes, but thank you so much for coming back on. I really appreciate it. Very different episode than what we normally do. So thanks for, thanks for riding with the punches with it, answering the questions. No thunderstorms this week, which is disappointing. <laughs> um, but thanks again. It was my pleasure, Chris. Thanks very much. 
Thanks again for downloading and listening to the one-to-one career conversation podcast. You can find us over on LinkedIn by searching one-to-one career conversation. And you can also follow us over on Instagram and Twitter at the one-to-one pod. Please do let us know what you thought of today's slightly different and maybe shorter conversation with George. And you can do that through any of the social platforms or on iTunes. iTunes reviews really do help us out. So if you can and spare a few moments to go and hit a review over there, that would be tremendously helpful. As a reminder, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and probably anywhere else that you enjoy listening to podcasts. Hit subscribe to be notified of new episodes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great day.